Hello and welcome to Surroundscapes, an audio and video podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world, addressing the general subject to the future of business. This content is curated by Blue Sound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This fourth series of Surroundscapes is focused on the future of music, and we're really concentrating on two areas. One is new ways of creating music, and the other is how to properly monetize and value music in these changing times. So for this episode, I'd like to introduce Glenn Rowe from Kyoto. Kyoto the company, not Kyoto the place. So Glenn's talking to us from London. Welcome, Glenn. Good afternoon. Well, good evening from me, and I guess good morning for you. It is, yes. Still still morning for me. So to start with, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career to date. Uh, okay. Uh, my, it's always the hardest question, isn't it, is to try and put it yeah. all in like a quick, succinct um, ten, you know, elevator pitch. Okay. I came into this industry, like many others, by accident, by playing drums in punk bands in, in the 90s and um, just finding myself traveling around in vans, the, those glory days when you would sleep on the equipment because you couldn't afford hotels with terrible record com- record deals and managers who didn't really know how to do their job. And I found myself in, a, in an awkward position as a drummer in a band when I found out that I was broke and really broke. So I had, a, I had no, no option because no one else had any money to lend me or give me. So I did, I did something quite, and I don't recommend any of your listeners take this upon themselves as, <laughs> as advice. <laughs> this, this, is, this, was, this was a very bad thing to do. I found myself having our tour manager fill the van up with diesel and park, park around the corner. Then I would run in and I would shoplift, you know, Ginster's sausage rolls, Mars bars, cans of Coke, crisps, whatever I could get my hands on and run out. And I, the idea was we're on the, you know, on the A1 and they're not going to chase after me for some, for some crisps. <laughs> so I, I felt safe in my shoplifting spree. And one, one day my, my tour manager said to me, you're an idiot. If you got caught, shoplifting tonight show will be cancelled you know everyone's gonna you know then the record company will be really mad at you and yada 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 and he said something along the lines of why don't you go in you know you love drums go and use your skills of playing drums with other bands go and drum tech go and sell t-shirts for other bands and that was an embarrassing eureka moment and i thought oh yeah i'm a drum nerd Uh, I'm still a recovering drummer at my age and I still love the the most, the nerdiest conversations about drums. I'm at my happiest. I love them. And I went into recording studios with bands and became a bit of a drum doctor, drum tech for hire, session drummer, did loads of bits and pieces and then found myself uh, needing needing to get a mortgage. So to get a mortgage... I had to have a real job. So I took a job at Richmond Theatre 
and working for Zildjian Symbols, helping them find new artists. And I was very lucky to find uh, a young band called Muse and then a young band called Coldplay. And I nurtured their drummers and became we became friends. And then I, you know, I, I got offered, I got offered the, the job to go out on tour with Muse. And I, I, I found myself going out for, I think it was a three week tour and I came home three months later. <laughs> it was yeah. the, the classic time of, you know, the, the, the tour itinerary was three weeks. And then I moved from being their drum tech and stage manager to their tour manager. And, and then 18 years later, going from, you know, band in van to, to private jets and stadiums around the world was, was kind of my, my, my journey of music. Uh, and in between times, I set up multiple businesses, a charity that I love dearly. And my, my you know, where, where I am right now, sat in my office at Kyoto in London, uh, I've got as much excitement ahead of me as what I've had behind me. So it's, I'm in a good place. It's interesting. I, um, when we were talking before this and you told me about your job at Zildjian Symbols, as I was saying to you beforehand, as a, as a, fellow drummer i applied for that that same sort of gig at peisty symbols their competitor and, and didn't get the job unfortunately so i i kind of envy agreed with envy that you got the job <laughs> we could have been enemies we could have yes but uh, we could have been uh, shouting our brands from the rooftops at each other so it's <laughs> yes. thing, drummers don't we don't fall out do we appreciate each other and we help each other out and what's one thing that I've noticed throughout my career is I often get on really well with someone and then turns out that they I find out they were a drummer yeah yeah I've done that likewise throughout my career it's amazing how many people (laughs) are drummers that end up in the strangest places yeah so yeah you've had this fantastic career with with Muse watching a band um come up and as you mentioned um in the the time between tours you said to me earlier you were never happy just kind of taking months off so you started off businesses um and doing uh, rehearsal studios and backline hire do you want to talk a little bit about that that business yeah so okay so i I found myself in a very lovely position when my phone didn't stop ringing for job offers. And I realized that what they didn't, what they wanted was, you know, I didn't need to physically go on the road. They just wanted to, to, to phone up and moan at me or, 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 or ask my advice. So I started uh, a company called Cato, Cato uh, music um, was, was some, was a really great adventure of mine for nearly 20 years in London, where we built rehearsal studios, backline hire, um, uh, storage. And we had a touring floor where we would look after bands on the road. And I I found myself becoming that guy that would would be the, the, all the problems came to me and and that was a good thing. So young bands, because what I, I also learned that young bands want young crew. And what I realized as I, as I was getting older, the bands were getting younger and I didn't, 
I knew they wouldn't want to be sat on a tour bus with me because I, I was kind of their parents' age. And that's okay. And that's, that, that's fine. So it was the idea of training up younger people to do my, who do a job like I do, where they can, that they can have their, their journey together. And it was really important to me to, to learn and to pass on some knowledge about doing really big bands to little bands, because it, you realize that knowledge is power. And th- when a young band's running around with somebody very experienced, there's a, there's a really good chance they're gonna get some, they're gonna get some solid success. So Cato was a passion project I loved and built up. I sold that to a company who did the classic thing and ruined it within a year, you know, mm. you know, as we all know, you build a, you build a company like that, that, that solves a problem. And then when, and then when it gets dissected by, um, a, a team of accountants and realize that, Hey, transport doesn't make much money yet, but it's a service and it's part of the most, you know, it's one of the most important parts of this ecosystem, but yes, it washes its face. Oh yeah, but we could you could make you know we could make more money if it didn't if it didn't exist. Yeah, but then you're not doing the service that is what is important to people. So bit by bit, I watched um, my favourite, my you know my my baby I built I built from scratch get ruined, and they shut it down within two years. So hmm. out of out of interest, why did you sell that business? Do you know what? I, I've often asked myself that question since. Um, I think okay, the, the the tragedy of this podcast, I'll try to get over as quickly as possible. My mum died very suddenly when we were in production rehearsals in Los Angeles, and uh, I, I remember I was on I was on stage talking to the crew and going through the band about how I want to see things m- moving and how the show's going to start and. And my phone kept ringing and um, it was my ex-wife saying, you need to come home. Your mum's just died. And at that moment, my, you know, I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit I was a mummy's boy. She was the greatest woman that walked the planet in my eyes. And I, I flew home and I, I, um, I said my goodbyes. And then we had a year's worth of tour ahead of us. And I found that emotionally a struggle, but I, you know, I, I knew my mum would not want me to, to be more moping around or be morbid. So I thought, right, I'm going to turn a negative wind into a positive energy and, and, and keep going. So it, and around that time I got an offer for to sell Cato and I thought, well, you know what, maybe this is all coming to an end at the same time. So the sale of, the business and the retiring from from Muse was I thought would give me my my time and energy to spend with my young kids and to build the charity into doing something quite quite exceptional. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. It's it's tough. I having moved from England to America, I've had to deal with the death of both of my parents while I've been thousands of miles away, and it's it's a really tough thing to do. Um, yeah, it's a it's a very yeah it's it's um we we all we all expect our parents to die but when it happens and my you know my mum was I spoke to her three days before so 
it was very very sudden she wasn't sick she had a brain hemorrhage boom she she was she was gone it's hard it's hard to to manage when you're 12 hours flight away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's hard even but with both my parents they were both ill i knew it was going to happen but but they say it and it's true nothing can prepare you for it even yeah. even when you know it's coming yeah, so new beginnings that was it i thought right new beginnings <laughs> <laughs> what, what's so next? Probably I, I next wants to want to uh, to talk to you about Kyoto, your your current company, and the company I kind of know you through. We were introduced uh, by a really good friend of mine, Liz Berry, who's been on this series before, um, and she rents a space in one of your facilities. So tell me a little bit about Kyoto and what that does. Okay. Well, first of all, I, I'll have I can't talk about Kyoto without talking about NACO. <laughs> oh, okay. So is it better to do it that way around yeah. then? Uh, okay. and what, I've just realized that Kyoto, NACO, and um, Kyoto, NACO, and Kato all end in O. And I never realized yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. God, I should have got that years ago, but didn't get it. <laughs> so so uh, my, my love of Japan has made me realize that if it, 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 every time I visit it, I, my, you know, I know that my my heart booms a little faster so i started uh, naco trust charity to to build music venues around the country right uh, and i and i know that to to build a venue is very expensive it's a very long drawn out process and the reason i wanted to do it was i wanted to help young people get into this industry that seeming seemingly from the outside is so so closed but as you and i know we love opening doors and letting mm-hmm. young people in we want young blood and and energy and, and brain power that's kind of what motors it along so nake um when um kato moved out of the rehearsal when when their business collapsed i kept i, I still had the buildings i have ownership of the buildings and i thought well what i'll do now we'll have rehearsal studios but instead of making it for profit, I'm going to give it all to charity. Mm. So when bands rehearse here, the money goes to the charity. And then we have these uh, six beautiful um, uh, mansion blocks in Wandsworth. And when I, when I say they're beautiful, they were built in 1723. So wow. they are really, really amazing. And we've divided them up into small writing studios um, recording studios, whatever anybody wants. We've got uh, artists of all sorts uh, in, in this really beautiful ecosystem kind of beehive of activity. And there's, you know, you, you walk down the stairs and there's um, uh, a, a band rehearsing in one of the spaces. There's a photographer doing a, a photo shoot outside with another band. There's Liz. <laughs> Um, doing, you know, messing around with holograms, that it, it's ne- it's never ending, and the, the vast um, array of what happens here is just so addictive. You don't you don't want to leave the buildings. Time moves a little bit faster in the Naco buildings. So when I Liz came to see me because our our mutual friend Wob Roberts mm-hmm. was was trying to help her because she got screwed over i met her looking at one of my other buildings i said you know what i've got just the place for you 
and I showed her Mick Jagger's old um, car garage, and it, which we turned into a, a lovely rehearsal studio space, and it's perfect for holograms. So it's kind of this campus of young, you know, uh, doesn't matter, you know, about age, you just young businesses where everyone helps each other and gets things moving. And it's, it's an amazing project. So that's Na that's NACO with its, its buildings, uh, the venue ambition, uh, an education, really exciting education program. We're starting in June this year where we're, we're going to, we're going to record it. The pilot's called NACO 18. We take 18 young people who want to work in the music industry, whether they want to be, band managers, record producers, musicians, road crew, and we're going to hothouse them and accelerate their their learning by bringing industry in all the time. So sorry, Graham, but I think you're going to need to be part of this. I think one of your, yeah. you know, yeah. one of your sessions talking about your career and the idea is we want, I want to embed them into the industry and because I, I, I got really disillusioned by education when when I, I ran Backstage Academy in um, in the UK, which is a, a degree course. And I, 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 I and having never gone to university and been a, a school dropout, basically, my real my realization was music doesn't it isn't about edu it's not about the score you get. If you get a first, it doesn't matter. It's the experience you get along the way. And I felt that was being that that wasn't where the energy was put in, the put in was the energy was put in for results. And it really made me angry that all universities care about is bums on seats. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more of a, a quality over quantity human being. I would rather hang out with somebody who's got no money than hang out with somebody who's got all the money. And I thought that education's wrong in the UK when it comes to these these things. And I wanted to do something a bit counterculture. Mm -hmm. um, so you were also telling me beforehand that you you have plans to to open some venues around the country and even kind of make those into a ecosystem that will allow bands to tour within that that group of venues. Can you say a, a little more yeah. about that? You, you said it perfectly. Uh, we, we want to build five venues around the UK to start with in London, Birmingham, Cardiff, Sheffield, Edinburgh. And the idea is I want to um, hothouse talent. So what I feel would be great is a young, is a young band who wants to do a UK tour, but they, you know, it's very expensive. Uh, the van hire, the fuel, the hotels, the per diems, the, yeah, you know, it all adds up to being quite a lot of money when venues can only pay, minimal amount of money out so i think it take the word profit out do something that's great and let young bands come and perform in venues where people are being educated upstairs um you know i, I won't i'm not going to say anything silly as though young unexperienced students will be in charge because that won't be the way it works it'll be uh, like almost like a pedagogy system where people who've got the experience of teaching the teaching young people they're shadowing and they're seeing how it all works and i would like to be able to be so confident to say that the budget will be their van hire and fuel mm -hmm. everything else will cover will make sure you've got great sound 
great lighting. We'll, we'll, we'll record your live show. We will have a stage manager, uh, you know, and, and really, really look at how we can make the, the venue experience a fantastic experience opposed to what we've got now, which is a poor pub owner who's got a back room and his, and his mate Dave is, does sound. And I think mm-hmm. there's, there's a, to make the best music that we, that we put out from this little island, I firmly believe that our music venues are suffering. I want to help mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that they are as good as they can be at all times. It reminds me, I went to university at the University of Surrey in Guildford and um, they have a Tonmeister course there that uh, they had a, a nice studio in those days. It was a, a Neve console and, and kind of one of these big old like orchestral, not old, it wasn't that old, but but, but a large orchestral studio. Beautiful. But they had a concert hall above um, and part of the thing with the student, and they had tie lines up there. So when bands came through, the students were able to record them and um, Brilliant. there was that ability to, to learn on the job, basically. And as it, it actually benefited me. I was, at, I was there um, doing chemistry, but I p- was playing in bands and, and all the students were looking for bands to record. So, you know, we, we had this opportunity to, to get this free studio time as long as yeah. you were prepared to do it overnight. Um, and that was that was just brilliant for us when as a band that you got all of this stuff that's it that's what I, so basically i think my job is to recreate mine and your youth yeah <laughs> that's a long time ago for me <laughs> how can we make how can we let young people have as much fun as we had and i and i do yeah. often talk about that saying i i had the best career you know and it's not over i, I hope you know it, it i had the best time I laughed my ass off all around the world. I, 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 I've had a, I've had a blessed career mm-hmm. and I loved it. So I want to now try and figure out how I can pass that on. And like, like we talked about earlier, a legacy for me would be just to know that it's, I, I do firmly believe that the planet earth is split into two people and they're either, they're either, um, chasing their passion or chasing a pension packet and I, and I believe that people like you and me and mo- probably most of the listeners will be passion passion driven people opposed to just wanting to make a load of money because hopefully they've realized now that it, it happiness isn't bought by money it's bought by memories and experiences and music just is a gift that keeps on giving right it is. It's. It's. I mean, it's been my life, and and um, and continues to be my passion. So these venues will they will they just have those bands cycling through them, or will they be general venues that that more established bands will go into as well, or what will they look like? How big will they be? Three hundred and fifty capacity to five hundred, somewhere right. around that, depending on the buildings we get. Now, mm-hmm. the ambition for me was when Matt Bellamy said to me, I want to play a small venue, I want to do a, you know, a, a tiny show. Mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to look at the venue capacities and, and realise that actually we can't fit in, in any venue smaller than, uh, sorry, yeah, smaller than 800 because the stage and their technical prowess is it, too big. Mm-hmm. So my ambition 
is to build these little venues where big bands can come and do tiny shows because I want to look at the technology and make sure that things like um, the, you know, the Kemper profilers, the guitar amps, the, mm. the mm-hmm. mimic mm-hmm. guitar amps, you know, and look at how we can make sure that technology is as up to date as possible in our venues so we can make sure we can get big bands doing small shows to a very high technological output with 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 very very few very very lucky people mm-hmm. and then also have the ability for up and coming bands to experience that as well um, absolutely one of the ideas we had we thought was funny was wouldn't it be great to get um you know a, a huge band to be the support band so instead of <laughs> Yeah. You know, you turn it on its head one day and say, okay, so you've got Metallica are opening up for a young, you know, for another young rock band. And what a, what a great moment that will be for people to think, wow, this is, you know, we, we, music needs to always change and ship, uh, shape, shape shift its way into being something more exciting, which is something mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier in the fact that the m- music industry today is much better than it was a year ago because technology's got better. And as long mm-hmm. as we're using technology for the right things and people are using technology in a positive way, which they, it's going to make songs better uh, and it's going to make, uh, hopefully it's going to make songwriting easier and song production a bit easier. So I do, I, I am putting my money where my mouth is by building these venues in the hope that I'm going to get more punk bands. I'm going to get more, rock bands because that's what they need to do they need to go and play live shows Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that is i mean it's it's also an area that size venue is is globally a a size venue that's really underserved so there's the the tiny little pub venues and there's the big venues but there's there's like a gap in between one of the things that's always confused me is how people expect bands and artists to go from small unsuccessful to being successful in those venue jumps like you say from like 100 to to you know 800 and you say well hang on how do you how do you, you try climb up a ladder that's got the 15 middle rungs missing you know let's see how well you can you can manage to to ascend to the top and it it's always something that i want to make sure is looked at and looked after and encouraged for young counterculture bands and artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was in a band and, and we played like the first really big stage and it was so strange because we were used to playing on top of each other. So like I, me, I was a drummer too and the bass player was six feet away, but now he was 20 feet away or something. It was just such a strange thing to, to get used to. So yeah, having that that runway where you can just gradually... Uh, go up and and in the days I was coming through there was way more of that than there is now so so that's great so with NACO Trust does does the rental of the premises pay for the charitable um, yep. activities is that how it's all financed yeah every so I'm very proud to say that we are a self-sustaining charity which is a, a rare a rare thing we have recently just won um a, a fantastic grant from the British Arts Council. Our new mm. CEO, Mary Rose, is a genius. 
I can say that. <laughs> and I will say that until the, until the day I die, she's fantastic. But, um, I, I, when I, I was so naive building this, building the charity where I thought every penny that we make just goes into the pot, whether they're renting offices, whether they're renting rehearsal studios or storage, just put that money in a charity pot and let's do some good with it. So mm -hmm. it's, um, and that's what makes everybody so excited is the fact that there's a, there's really good facilities. It's affordable. It's in London and we, and we care for each other. We, we, you know, we are, we feel like a, a, a quirky campus. Mm -hmm. And I see on your website that you have ambassadors and manufacturers and bands and things. How do, how does that work? Well, that all, there's a new, a new fancy pants website coming very, very soon with a load of, a load more incredible ambassadors and sponsors. I mean, We've been we've been so lucky that when I first started the charity, what fifteen years ago, I I went out to every, everybody in the industry and just said, look, this is what I'm doing. Uh, I, I'm putting my money in. I'm not asking you to pay for it yourself, but I'd like you to match everything I put in. So, you know, sure, microphones were an early adopter, and you know they put in I think five thousand pounds. So I matched five thousand pounds, and you know, and, and the idea was we would build a, a good nest egg to to help to help it grow to being something sensible. And now, now, now we're 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 good. We, we've got you know, there's a there's a there's a, a great team here, and everybody gets paid, and it works like a business. But may, you know, the profit goes into good things. Mm -hmm. And is it financed? Uh in a way that you can build out those five venues now, or is that another expansion? That's another expansion. We've really got to raise some serious capital for that. And, you know, doing things like this, you never know who's listening. If there's any angel investors out there who believe in grassroots venues and wants to, you know, leave some kind of her heritage, then we're looking for you. We're looking for partners. We're, we're, we're in talk. We've been in talks with a couple of very major uh, develop property developers who want to build these for us. So, oh, wow. mm -hmm. and conversations with council and government, they they they're seeing that this isn't a pie in the sky idea. You know, we've proven the the fact it works. They, and when they come here, they they see ah, oh, okay, right, okay, they get it. But you've got to almost come here and see how it, well it all works to 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 see what's coming in, in the future. So let's move on now, having talked about uh, NACO and talk about Kyoto ah. and what you do with Kyoto. And uh, by the way, for those, because people will always ask me, why did you call it Kyoto? It's always, mm. it's always, a, and, and thank you. You're the first person who hasn't asked me. So I'm going to tell you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, having been to Kyoto and like you have, you, I found I, I was lucky enough to visit in, you know, the cherry blossom season, and mm -hmm. blown away by a few things. Number one, nobody I was with or anybody I, I, I was I've ever grown up with knew that Kyoto was the original capital of of Japan. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. It wasn't. It and that blew me away. I didn't know that they changed the capital. 
I found that the people, the people in Gen, you know, the, most of the population in Japan are beautiful people and very forward thinking and very, you know, I, I see they're kind of, they, they respect the past and then they, they, they run into the future. And I felt a sense of calm in Kyoto that I thought this place has, and I'm being a, um, you know, a bit of a Buddhist, but mostly atheist. I felt a spiritual tinge up my spine thinking there's something, there's something here. So when, when I started a new business, I wanted to give it a name. And as I've realized now, all my name bloody end with O. Um, but <laughs> I thought Kyoto was such a beautiful sense of, of, of the future that I, I got excited by it. So uh, Kyoto is an arts, a music and arts management company. We, are uh, deeply embedded in counterculture. I think that's what I love about our businesses. We might not manage Metallica, but we manage the bands that we love. And mm -hmm. we've got three acts at the moment, King None, Never Not Nothing and Holocene. We're developing some other younger acts. There's some more things coming through. We've got an, a, an incredible artist called Kazland. He's not a music artist. He's a he's a a, a a painter, and Kazland is my favorite artist in the world. I, I, he he's kind of um, he's, he's kind of tribal, kind of kind of kind of naive, kiddie, but I just love everything he does. And the mm -hmm. idea is we can make you know. So we we I published his first book for him because uh, I think releasing a book is like releasing a record, right? You've got to do the same, go through a lot of the same processes. And the idea is to give the artists we manage time, space, and encouragement. And they are the three things I think are missing in modern music and modern management. Uh, you need, you find, when you find somebody great, they need time to develop. There's no, there shouldn't be no quick go, 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 Great art comes when great art comes. Space, uh, and that's that's in two points. Physical space, so our our artists have their own studio spaces that they can be creative in. And then also, no one great art doesn't come from your manager looking over your shoulder every two minutes, does does it? It's that thing if you've got to give them the physical space they need to develop. And then encouragement. This is this is great. What you're doing is really great. Keep doing it. Do more of it. Do as much of it as you can. Hey, this bit, this bit's a bit shit. And being honest, because I believe that that's where great art will come from: a conversation uh, and time of and trust together of what we're all doing. So we have, we're we're excited about the bands we manage and the artists we manage. We have our own recording studio that I'll, I'll come back to and, re and rehearsal studios. So the rehearsal studios are uh, SW19 and, you know, Dua Lipa's in there today. I can say that kind of because this is going out in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we, we never tell anybody who's in the studios at the time, but Dua Lipa, Sam Smith are all in at the moment and Stereophonics and some great bands. Um, so we've got real class A rehearsal facilities over there. And the recording studio was 
uh, a passion project of me and my partner, Neil, where we wanted to kind of revisit the classic rock and roll studio. We've got uh, John Entwistle from The Who's mixing desk. And, and just, you know, I, I don't know if you were the same, Graham, but I grew up under sleeping underneath a, a poster of The Who. You know, that, that target with the arrow yep, is yep. one of my first memories. And to, you know, Quadrophenia changed my life. So to, to, to square the circle of my journey, having owning a piece of musical heritage that Who demos were made on it is, is a dream come true. I would like someone to explain why the bloody desk starts at 17, though. <laughs> what the channels yeah so the number in the channels one two it starts at 17 and then get starts at one in a halfway through the middle so oh you've got the modules in the wrong way <laughs> it sounds like how, but... how he designed it he, you know, oh, we've, really? we've, we, we've had it ripped apart and rebuilt lovingly by a genius called um, Malcolm Atkins literally took every component apart and rebuilt it and said this desk is today better than it was when it was made. You know, it's it's beautiful. Wow. So we built that. And then one of the things that some of your listeners might be interested in is the the drumborella. Mm -hmm. Yeah, talk about that. That's so that's very cool. The the idea from this came from a, a frustrating moment with with Muse when we were making a record um, in a very expensive studio with a very expensive producer. And to, to stop the recording session because they wanted to move the drums from one big cavernous room into one small, tight sounding room. Uh, the maths were in the region of three, uh, sorry, uh, 5,000 Canadian dollars. And hmm. I just thought, this is bonkers. Um, why can't we just do something that makes it sound tighter and and fitter so we when we built the studio I, I had this idea of the drumbrella so it's a not it's nine feet so it's a big piece of machinery that's that comes down from the ceiling and totally changes the the sound of drums to in the microphones in the room and and makes you know so you can sound like john bonham in the same room and you can sound like steely dan and you don't mm -hmm change anything you do all you do is bring the ceiling down above, you know really close to the drums and, and bring yeah. the walls in so mm -hmm. i've really enjoyed watching drummers feel special because like like you it's um that thing of being a drummer and being overlooked in recording studio sessions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah uh, that, <laughs> it, it, i yeah. empathize with that that's happened a lot how many times? Okay, okay, drums, drums, get the drums done. Have you not done the drums yet? Come on. And then, you know, sometimes you've barely got a take done and then they're trying to pack your drums on. Like, whoa, 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 wait. I want, I want, hang on. Can I listen to my mistakes first? Oh, yeah. no, we'll fix it. You know, we'll, we'll, it's like, no, no, no. I, I'm a drummer. I've built a studio for drummers so they can come in, they can relax. It's all about getting a great drum track and making making the, the vibe feel exciting and then once the drummer's happy do you know what you can go and record the rest in your bedroom doesn't matter mm -hmm. recording drums 
is is a is a big passion still you know 30 years later i'm still as excited with the band we've got in there today making a record than i was when i was in the bands so yeah, forward, yeah. me and you we're gonna we're gonna stick up for the drummers right we are. I'm looking forward to when we can travel again and I can come over and see it because it's, I've seen pictures of it. It looks fantastic. Yeah, um, it's, it's so good. that bit about, um, you know, nurturing artists, I remember, um, you know, an artist that, that I love is Kate Bush and EMI for years. You know, she was young when she came to, when Dave Gilmore brought her to EMI yeah. and they, they wouldn't let her record for a couple of years. They made her go out on the road and do little pub gigs under a pseudonym to hone her craft. So by the time she produced her first album, it was amazing. Yeah. And, um, you know, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. That's, that's not common. We live in a society where it's all about the here and now. It's you know, get it done, move on, do the next thing. Yeah. So it's uh, great to hear that you're doing this. Yeah, we're, we're flying the flags for the... The fact that great art takes time, and you know what what made me you know what I feel very proud of is you know Kate Bush when she did her comeback tour, she rehearsed here for six weeks. Oh wow, I'd love to have seen that. But, you know we you know in our rehearsal studios we've had Queen, obviously Muse, Metallica, um, uh, Rihanna, Adele, Ed Sheeran, you know the world's biggest acts, mm -hmm. and I love and I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the fact that we've got a, a young band called Seagulls in there at the moment who are, who, are who are starting to take off. And that excites me just as much because hopefully Seagulls will be, you know, the next Coldplay maybe. You know, you, you don't know where this magic comes from. And um, I watched a documentary about – oh, by the way, I am a documentary addict, so I watch a documentary on anything. I've even watched yeah. a documentary on concrete – <laughs> okay <laughs> so i'm not kidding when uh, I, I saw a documentary and it said that planet earth is hit by lightning um nine billion times a day it's wow. basically happening all the time mm -hmm. and i thought that is a great kind of analogy of where good music comes from you don't know where it comes from it's happening all the time you know i, I often look at the the tower blocks in um i guess you know for the american listeners projects in london and think i hope there's punk bands in there i hope mm -hmm. there's ravers djs uh electronic dance music madmen i want you know i want you want music to come out from from every pool that you can get get it going and then the idea is once it starts you can't stop you've got to just keep going haven't you it's it for me the music industry is it's been hit. It's planet Earth been hit by lightning, and then it's the shark analogy. You know, if a shark, the perfect predator, if it stops swimming, it drowns and dies. So, mm -hmm. if you're a music, if you're a musician now, and you're in, and you've got a love of music, you can't take your foot off the gas. You've got to keep going and keep evolving and and, and just keep doing your thing to get as good as you can be. Mm -hmm. So you got these three bands. Uh... King Nun, Never Not Nothing, and Holocene. Tell me a little bit, we were talking beforehand about how musicians make a, a living in, in these days, and you were contrasting the three bands, and, and hopefully one of them, ne Never Not Nothing, will actually be on this podcast on a later episode. But tell me about 
the nature of those three acts and how they make a living nowadays? As as everybody knows, the the, the pandemic kicked the hell out of the, the life cycle of the music industry. So the quick conversations of how can we diversify as fast as possible? Um, luckily, Never Not Nothing um, have incredible skills in production in remixes in songwriting and with their they've built their own in, they call it the infinity factory studio mm. so they've just finished a fantastic new act i can't say their name yet because their manager might shoot me <laughs> really brilliant um avant-garde kind of punk electronica punk um and they, you know, they, so they've been producing records for other people, doing remixes and do, you know, doing their versions of other songs for other people and trying to make sure that they can self-survive whilst there's no touring going on. Then you've got um, Holocene and Sean is an incredible, she can't, she's, she's kind of a girl in, in uh, juxtapose who, sounds like Sarah Vaughan, a classic jazz singer, but she's, mm-hmm. she's, she grew up with a, a steady diet of grunge. And um, so her musical influences is everything from Soundgarden, Nirvana, Alice in Chains. So it's kind of spat out this weird music that's PJ Harvey-esque with a, with a very deep voice and kind of with this, also with this pop sensibilities that, you know, it's like you know, an alternative Dua Lipa. So it's something, it's something, something great there. So she's been teaching kids to to sing, to play guitar. She's, um, you know, she's been trying to use her skills because I said, don't go and get a, a you know, don't go and get a bar job. Do any job that is music related because you never know who you're going to meet, what's going to come out of those things and what's going to come from it. So she's been she's been teaching people to sing and King Nun have had to take proper jobs to go and do that because they are quintessentially a live um, explosion. Their singer Theo is the greatest front man I've seen in a decade. Wow. He is he's part um, Iggy Pop. He's part Michael Stipe, he's part Mick Jagger. He's, you know, he's just got the, you know, he's a young kid and he's just got this amazing voice and this amazing attitude on stage. And we, you know, when the pandemic hit, they were on tour in Europe and we had a year's American tour lined up for them. And so we've really been licking our wounds because in that time that, we can't move the needle because they're a live band. They've done mm-hmm. live session and the, you know, live streams, are, you know, have created such screen fatigue for people. They just need venues to open up again and away they go, you know, we've got some good news yesterday with their Foo Fighters support shows next year. So they'll be back out on the road, you know, at, at some point soon. Excellent. Hopefully they'll come back stronger with, new material and uh you know the ability to to really use this time productively but i, I mean as a young band 
missing a year is is you know it's, it's such a huge length of time in in the development of a band. Yeah, it's heart kind of heartbreaking because that's what they stood for, and mm-hmm. you know, they just got Rolling Stone magazine voted them best rock band at Bonnaroo. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, K Rock started playing. You know, all the, all of these things were just starting to happen, and they could see it. And they started to believe it. You know, they, were, mm-hmm. they, would, be, they would do shows in, in, your, in your town and kids were, were coming out and kids were mm-hmm. picking up on them and, they, and, that, and then that got taken away. So I hope that when they come, when the world opens back up and it comes back again, that bands like King Nun and Never Not Nothing and Holocene will be all over the planet as quickly as they can. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So as we come towards the end of this, um, I just want to ask you, is there anything else you'd like to say? Any kind of last thoughts that you have uh, that that you think people need to hear? I think, Mark, I'd I'd like, I think, young people who want to get into artist management, I'd like to give them a few words of advice of just take take some time, take stock, and, um, you know, really listen to what your artist has to say and make sure that when you start it it carries you know it's got to carry on inertia is the hardest thing to get going in Mm -hmm. the music industry but when it does go let it let it go let let it roll naturally and encourage and be a be a you know a great supporter and do your best because i often see young bands falling out with artists because it's been about you've got to you know got to hurry up and do things and the artists kind of need to do things but at their own pace so i'd like right. i'd like to you know empower young managers to say there's not such a rush everyone mm-hmm. thinks they're in a rush but maybe just take take that extra breath and think about things because then you know knee jerks are sometimes the wrong, you know, the wrong thing to do, and it takes longer to undo a mistake than it does to avoid it. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think young young man managers. I'd also like, and I'll give you my details at the end. And if ever I can help someone with a problem, I want to do that. I, I think with my charity hat permanently on and my Kyoto badge, I, I'm here to help. I want to help young bands, young managers, young producers. Whatever they want, you know, and not just young people. We, you know, I get quite shocked at how how often people in their later careers are still making naive mistakes. So mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. are there is help, and we're not we're not all ourselves. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I think um, you know we were talking earlier. There's there's two things about the industry that that um, I think are misconceptions. One are that it's enormously glamorous. I mean, there are moments. It has its moments, but there's a ton of hard work, kind of struggle, you know, not particularly wonderful bits. And the other thing is that it's a very closed industry. And yeah. again, you know, you you were talking about this earlier, and it's been my experience through decades that most people in the industry are just happy to help. They're, they're happy to do what they can for other people. And it's way less, I don't know, backbiting and competitive than people from the outside see it as being. Would you agree with that? 
I completely stand by that and, you know, nail my colours to the mast of saying, we want to help, don't we? We want to yeah. help people come in. In fact, this is an industry that's got to be, you know, like I mentioned earlier with a touring floor, you've got, it's got to be run by young people. They just need some older people to say, am I, am I fucking up or am I doing mm -hmm. okay? And, and mm -hmm. it's okay. Uh, I, I would love to see that this industry does need to, to evolve slightly, you know, especially in the UK where we need more, um, more women. We need more people of mm -hmm. color. We need mm -hmm. more different backgrounds. It has predominantly been a white male middle class industry for too long now. Yeah. Now we need everybody to, we need a new guard, a new younger guard who did not, did not have everything that the last guard had. We need change. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to actually, I'm going to ask you one more question. It just occurred to me while you were talking. So, you know, we're, we're sitting here in, what is it, April 2021. We've, we've all been effectively on pause for a year. Uh, yeah. We were talking about birthdays before we went on air. And the world's had to, a lot of the world has had to pause for a year. How do you think it's going to come back differently? Will it come back differently? Or will it just go back to doing what it was doing before? What, what are your thoughts on all of this? I hope we've, we've learned some really valuable lessons. Um, I hope people have realized that what a joyful um, moment it is to be in a room surrounded by people who love what music offers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I've, always, I've often compared the, the difference in emotion to music lovers, to sports fans, because it doesn't matter what football team or um, baseball team you support, when you, when you go and see them, you've got a 50-50 chance of your team winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where, whereas you go to a concert and you're going to go to a concert to really enjoy that band. And, mm -hmm. and you're, so you're surrounded by 100% of people who love the same band that you do. And that energy is really, really, really amazing. And I want to make sure that we all, we, we respect it, we nurture it, and we look at how we can make it better i think shows need to become more i think we, we need to challenge some of the aspects in touring i i would like to see a few there's a few changes one thing i think that is is a a fact now that we can't get rid of is we're going to have hybrid shows where mm -hmm. every show is going to be live and streamed and yeah. can't and i don't think we can go back from that now i think that's here to stay but there's, there's a company in, in the UK called Melody VR who have been filming virtual reality shows for quite a while, and they're, they're very ahead of the curve by putting cameras behind the drummer so you can stand and watch, you know, watch the drummer's position. So if you're sat at home watching a show on YouTube, it's a bit flat, whereas if you, mm -hmm. get, if you get these pioneers to be pushing the boundaries, it's really good that you can change the video camera because uh, you know when when you're watching it on screen you're just watching somebody else's view there needs to be lots of these things and vision mixing needs to come into an affordable space where uh, you know even if it's just 
um, what, are they, what are those cameras called? Um, GoPros. Yeah. Even yeah. just GoPros put around the stage and mm-hmm. they go into a vision mixer and, and fans at home can change which what, which view they want to watch. Sure. That's okay. But mm-hmm. we just need to see more, more young, brilliant ideas. Mm-hmm. Please. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting working in the industry. Um, I, I think is a, is a blessing and a curse. And the curse of it to me is you go to a gig and like my wife's really enjoying it and I'm getting frustrated by the mix or something like that. But at this moment in time, any gig, I <laughs> back at any gig. I don't care how bad the mix is. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Anyway, um, you're doing some amazing stuff, Glenn. Thank oh, you thank so you. much for what you're doing for the industry. How do people get in touch with you? Um, right. Very easily. I'm going to give you my phone number and my email address because okay. I don't care. I, I, I think, um, knowledge shared is, is, is way better. So the best way to get hold of me, um, via email, I've got two email addresses because I wear two hats. So my charity email address is Glenn, that's with one N G L E N at NACO Trust, N-E-K-O Trust.org. So if you email me anything about the charity, uh, any any ideas how we can help you, if, if that's a help thing, or if it's artists, you want um, some some guidance or you want to come to see our studios and you want to you want to come over for a you know for a cup of tea. I don't care. Come, you know, it, it's fine. Then you can get me Glenn again. G-L-E-N at Kyoto, K-Y-O-T-O, music.co.uk. And my phone number? Should I give him my phone? Or is that, is that crazy? <laughs> no, give, give me your phone number. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, plus four, four, seven, nine, seven, seven, five, zero, two. Five four eight. There you go. I've said it once. I have to keep rewinding it to get. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Glenn, for your time, Loved your enthusiasm, it. and for everything you're doing for the industry that we all love so much. Hey, and thank you. We we, we love it because we we we're lucky enough to have been working it right. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's a wild ride, but it's been a fun it's been a fun ride. I think for both of us. So thank you also everyone for listening. Please. Um, As always, comment on your podcast platform of choice, rate us, tell us who you'd like to hear. Thank you for your time, Glenn. Thank you for everyone's time listening. Come back, listen to more episodes. And um, yeah, just thanks. Thanks.